On this episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Megan Beach joins me from Utah, soon to be Oregon, and we are going to talk about a couple of things from how the outdoors has impacted her transition from the Navy to civilian life. We're going to talk about taxidermy, and we're going to talk about conservation and the premise behind it being, are you giving more than you are taking or are you taking more than you are giving? So let's get into this. Let us know what you think and I enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another Her Wild Outdoors podcast. Um, Today, Megan Beach is joining me. And Megan, you're in Utah. That's right. You're in Utah right now, but you're about to move back to Oregon, right? Yes. Yep. I'm excited for you. I think. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> we will we'll hear a little bit about that kind of probably in your story. But um, so you're a mountain standard time uh, right now, but you'll be moving to the Pacific Coast, right? Yep, that's correct. It is difficult with traveling sometimes, you know, going to the East Coast and whatnot. You're like, oh, okay. You get thrown off a little bit. You're like, where am I? (laughs) What time is it? The sun is not up yet. Um, I was trying to think back to, I took a trip down to Texas when my brother got, um, I got to pin him when he became a warrant officer too. And we oh, went, that's awesome. yeah, so super proud to be a part of that. But then we, we drove up to the Northern part of New Mexico and, and climbed a 13 K mountain. And I, I mean, I know Colorado is just mountain standard time, but the, I think it's just the way the sun moves it. I was up way earlier than he was. I was ready to go way earlier than he was. And, but I was ready for bed way earlier than he was. (laughs) My body revolted in, in hiking and said, okay, I'm done. I'm done at this time. This is where you're supposed to be relaxing. And, um, It'll be interesting when I come to Montana for a hunt, how it reacts to that. You just get accustomed to where you are. Mm -hmm. And it'll stay probably a lot lighter Mm -hmm. later in Montana. What part of Montana are you going to? It'll be central, northern, near the Canadian border. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, so it'll be really nice. But you've, (laughs) you've traveled over your lifetime to a whole bunch of different places, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've had to kind of build your body in a way that it can it can maneuver through anything, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us just a little bit about who you are and and kind of how your story has evolved. Okay. Well, and I wanted to say too, thank you for having me, Amy. I really, this is an honor to be able to do this with you um, and chat today. Yeah, that honors Um, all mine. (laughs) (laughs) So I am, let's see here. I have, I'm a licensed veterinarian technician. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of my main job. Um, I do taxidermy on the side. I started my business a few years ago. Um, Currently I am in Utah um, about to move back to Oregon. I've kind of lived all over. I'm kind of You're a nomad, nomad if, you, oh, yeah. if you call it. <laughs> um, and that I like to think from the military. Mm-hmm. So I spent almost nine years in the Navy. 
um, on ships, just kind of moving around all over the West Coast. Um, with, I was with the Marines. Um, I was on ships, uh, deployed all over the world and whatnot. Well, thank um, you for that. So, I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, yeah. So since then, I've kind of, you know, traveled around. I, um, you know, moved out to Eastern Wyoming, Western Nebraska, spent several years out there, um, finished my vet tech degree at Eastern Wyoming College. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just recently over the last year and a half, moved out to Utah um, for a job. And then I'm going to go home to Oregon this this upcoming summer um, to just be closer to family. Yeah. Um, and it's been about 17 years since I've lived in Oregon. So it'll be a big change, but I'm excited to you know, just see how it is and explore new areas to hunt and fish that I never really did when I was younger. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. It will be. My brother always says he's been gone now. He's army. He's a a black Hawk pilot. And so, Oh wow. He's super proud. That's why I say, you know, when I run into people and say, Hey, thank you for your service. I kind of feel like I need to back that up and say like, really? Like, really, thank you. I know the sacrifice that it takes to be away from family, to um, I, I know what it's like being a supporter of somebody. And um, and so he tells me all the time after being gone for so long and and in different areas of our country and the world, you know, to come back home as an adult versus the and I put this in quotes, a kid leaving, uh, he's he's always said it's going to be a little different because you see it differently coming back as the mm-hmm. person that you are having changed and evolved in your personality and in your experience and maturity that it's just going to be almost like you have to, like a curiosity, like how this is Mm -hmm. a totally different filter that you're looking at it as. So I'm excited to hear, uh, like you said, having or being able to take advantage of the hunting and fishing and all of the outdoor life in Oregon versus what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a fun part. That's something to be excited about. (laughs) It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. How, when did you, how old were you when you entered the Navy? Uh, So I was 18 Mm -hmm. right out of high school. So I graduated and just joined a few years, a few months later. Yeah. Um, And so then, yeah, I was, I was in active duty until my like late twenties. And then got out, went back to college yeah, and finished, finished my degree in veterinary medicine. And yeah, I've, I had a, I loved my career. I loved the military. Mm-hmm. I kind of kicked myself for getting out. <laughs> I, I think about it now and I'm like, man, I would retire in just a few years if I would have stuck it out. But what was your um, favorite part? But, do you think that you brought from that experience? Oh gosh. Um, or a few, I don't think you can probably narrow it down to just one. <laughs> it is hard to narrow it down to one, but every, I, so in the Navy, I went, um, every two to three years, we would transfer, um, somewhere mm-hmm. else. So every experience was so rewarding and so different at the same time. So like I did, I worked, um, on a hospital at a hospital in the operating room mm-hmm. and my first right when I was 18, 19 years old, went on a humanitarian mission, got to see, you know, all over 
Southeast Asia. Um, we helped, they had tsunami, tsunamis in 2005. So we went over the year, the next year and mm. rebuilt hospitals, did surgeries on patients that needed critical surgeries that couldn't have them done. Mm -hmm. So that was super awesome. But then I was, um, after that, I went to an aircraft carrier for a few years and, um, which is like a floating city. Yeah. <laughs> we have, you know, three to 5,000 people on board ship at any time. Um, and so I got to do more emergency medicine and, you know, I was on the fire team and just responded to things going on on the ship all the time. Cause someone, you know, was always injuring themselves or, mm -hmm. you know, something was happening. Um, and then, you know, my last command was in Hawaii with the Marines. So I got to actually go to the green side a little bit. Uh, they call it with, with the Marine Corps. Um, I didn't deploy with them, but mm -hmm. I also did search and rescue with the small Navy unit I was attached to. So then I got to learn how to drive small boats 15 miles out to sea and <laughs> help the Coast Guard with big search and rescue efforts, you know, when, when ships would, or not ships, but small boats would capsize, mm -hmm. sailboats and things like that. So every, everything that I did was just so rewarding in a different way. It yeah. was, it was really, it was really neat experience. I the, miss it every day. <laughs> the amount of skill. I mean, I've worked, I've worked in the OR. I have worked, um, with trauma cases, I have worked um, not outside of the hospital in in clinical situations, but I've you're kind of on front lines when you work emergency med, when you are mm -hmm. um, working trauma cases, when you are you know in the hustle and bustle of it, and uh, there is a toll that it also takes on you, and mm -hmm. it's. I mean, I can still remember cases from, you know, 2003 when I started and it, it hits, I don't know if I even now probably in responding to certain situations, how it affected me or how I responded back then still has an effect on how I respond now. Um, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you don't, emergency medicine is not something that you ever walk away from and just leave. You always, there, there are not just good and bad, but there are lessons that, that you will always carry with you, whether they're scars or badges, right? Yep. That's correct. Yeah. And it's like a part of you. Yeah. <laughs> like I even, I even, I've been out of human medicine for gosh, almost, well, eight years now mm -hmm. or so. Um, but I still carry around my med bag in my car, pull mm -hmm. over for bad accidents, you know, or something. If I see something, yeah. Um, yeah. Just always to, have gloves in the car. I know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always yeah. gloves and a tourniquet are always in my vehicle. Um, <laughs> that response, that quick, uh, that quick response time is always there. How, how can I be helpful? Um, mm -hmm. And I think it would be a waste if you didn't. I think that that experience would be a waste if you didn't carry it with you forever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about how um, going from situations like that into the wild outdoors, into the the vastness and the quiet, um, it impacts you, right? How has that, how has the outdoors inspired you through all of this? So 
That's a loaded question to you. (laughs) (laughs) So the outdoors is really, it first became a big part of my life. Um, when, well, I've always been into the outdoors. Mm -hmm. I've always fish, crabbed, hiked, camped, you know, been kind of a tomboy, you know, Mm -hmm. always out and about. Um, I didn't grow up hunting. I didn't learn how to hunt till I was 30. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just woke up one day and was like, I want to learn to hunt. I want to harvest my food. And I was missing pieces, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, from the military. So I got out of the military, went back to college, worked in the civilian world, felt just out of place Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, You know, I, it was, it was just different. Um, Trying to figure out how to explain that in more depth, but um, so once I, I started to hunt and some of the people that I hunted with, I learned to duck hunt first. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'd always be like a group of us in a pit, everyone cheering each other on, everyone just excited. And it was like that camaraderie yeah, that really helped me with that transition from the military mm-hmm. to more of the civilian world. Like that was the camaraderie and the team that I was missing. Yeah. Um, after I, I had separated from the military and then to go on, I, I, you know, found a woman's group that I'm a part of and had more camaraderie from those women and went on from there. So you're not the only person I've heard that from. I think if you notice a lot of the groups out there, whether you are still active or you're a veteran or whatever your capacity is with the military, mm-hmm. coming back, especially if you don't, well, I wouldn't say especially. I think no matter if you're coming back to a supportive family, to a significant other, to kids, to friends, no matter, or by yourself, no matter that situation, there's still that, that out of place, like you were saying, feeling or that lonely feeling because you were so Mm -hmm. used to having this big, huge crew with you. Um, A family, basically. A family, (laughs) yeah. And so to miss that, you know, every day intimate relationship with other people to then being either solo or in a different situation, it, that transition is so difficult. And Mm -hmm. I think that waterfowl, waterfowl hunting and group hunting is one of the best ways to get back into that feeling. I think that you will notice it across the board that, um, that it is a sense of, I, I don't want to use the word therapy, but just that therapeutic transition moving into it because of, like you said, the camaraderie of it. It is. Yeah. And it is kind of like therapy, mm-hmm. really. I mean, that that really saved me mm-hmm. um, in a way mm-hmm. of, you know, just, yeah, having, having that. And then I had found um, a woman's group that I'm a part of, Sisterhood of the Outdoors. Yeah. Uh, about a, a year and a half, couple years after I'd started hunting. And then that just even made it all the better. Yeah. Um, because now it's women mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, I was learning from these women and now I'm, I'm teaching women and it's just, a, it's a really cool 
it's a really cool thing. I think people are afraid sometimes in our hunting community. I've touched on it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I think people are really afraid to take that step from learning to teaching. And mm-hmm. it completely changes you as a hunter when you start teaching when you have somebody that you're mentoring or just walking alongside of. Um, it does. Yeah. I think it makes us a more well-rounded hunter or fisherman. I think it it makes us um, more patient and graceful, not just with others, but with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that that hesitancy is more fear of – I don't know of, of not doing it right. Whereas I think that we can all learn lessons from each other, no matter our, our expertise. Yes. Yeah. 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 We need more women out there teaching. We, we have, (laughs) we have so many entering our community. Um, but I myself don't like to do things imperfectly. And so that hesitancy to get out there because I don't have it perfect um, is is hugely a pride issue on my <laughs> on my account. Um, the fear uh, and the pride and honestly just selfishness. I think that if I took a step back and said, "Hey, you know more than you know a lot of people out there," even though you're, I'd, I'll never be an expert. But there's always something that you can pass down to somebody else. And I I think that we need to step out there and do a little bit more of that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And teaching is, is awesome Mm -hmm. too. I I did that when I was um, in the military as a vet tech, you know, and so being able to kind of transition from learning, you know, getting something down, whether it's, you know, duck hunting, turkey hunting, fishing, whatever. And yeah. then being able to pass that along. It's just, it's really, it's cool. I and, agree. And, and being with people on their first hunts and seeing them shoot their first waterfowl, their first, you know, turkey, that kind of thing. And helping them do that is, is it's pretty rewarding. I agree. There's nothing like it. It's a, uh, we had a gentleman who is a friend of ours, um, last week, actually this, our turkey season ended on Sunday. And so he called us up on Friday. Oh my gosh, I got a turkey. Um, now what oh, do I do? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was his first harvest ever. Oh, that's so cool. And so <laughs> we, first of all, jumping up and down, excited, come over, come over. We'll walk you through everything. And, but then second of all, to be a place that he could call, um, without hesitation of, Hey, what do I do? Um, it, it, there was humbling in that. And it, mm-hmm. so it, it's twofold when you're on that side of it. And so to be able to stand there with him and talk about the hunt and talk about what happened and talk about, um, his excitement and what yeah. he's going to do with it. <laughs> and those are the things. It's not just pulling the trigger or letting go of the bow. It's the, it's the bigger picture of what did it take to get there? Um, mm-hmm. How many years have you been going out? Like all of these stories come around a hunt. And I think that's why even if you hunt solo, you still need that community to be able to communicate with it, to be able to mm-hmm. share that and um, to get excited for others, but also for others to get excited for you. That's mm-hmm. 
That's a big part of it, telling those stories. And so it's a huge part. It's a huge part. So finding (laughs) not just a group to hunt with, but finding women that you can hunt with um, for us ladies, it there's it's just something different. It's exciting to be a part of a women's group that support each other like that. It's really, really a cool thing. I'm glad that you found that. Do you know a lot of people, and I think it's changing, like you started, um, you said 30, right? And I started when I was 33. So I can honestly say that within the first 10 years of me hunting, I have had female mentors. Um, You can say that within 10 Mm -hmm. years of hunting, you have had female mentors and If you go back a couple of decades or if you go back to women who were hunting even 20 years ago, most of them can't say that. And yeah, that's it's so exciting to be able to say (laughs) that and to see the generational change that um, a girl like my daughter can say, I grew up with a mom that taught me how to hunt. She also grew up with a dad that taught her how to hunt, but um, she got the best of both worlds. Um, and it is, it's changing. And I love that, that it's not just for kids, it's for adults too. Yeah, I love that too. It's so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So what would you say, since you have hunted with men and women, what would you say are some of your takeaways from the different hunts? You know, I've had, I've had a lot of good hunts with both men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something about women that I don't know. I have takeaways for good takeaways, I guess, for yeah. both of them, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but women who are more, I don't know, nurturing mm-hmm. motherly, like more, it's more supportive, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I enjoy both don't get me wrong, but, um, yeah, the women just, seem to be a lot of times more compassionate. And and I've had a lot of guy friends that guide, you know, and that a lot of times would rather guide women because they're, they're more excited, mm-hmm. um, you know, compassionate about it. Teachable. Um, or passionate, I should say. Yep. Yeah. I think that yeah. when I have hunted with women versus men, it's just been more relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have That's t- true too. Yeah. I've taken... Uh, lessons from each hunt, no matter who I've hunted with. But I think that there is, uh, I can let my guard down a little bit more when I'm around Mm -hmm. women. I can ask questions that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable asking, mainly because of my pride. Um, (laughs) But I think that it just, it kind of settled when I was around women where I could be like, well, what, what is that? And I didn't get, and I might've gotten the look, I don't know. Did you not know what that was? But it didn't, I don't know. It just came, it came across differently. And I was able to receive that knowledge a little bit differently. And um, And you're, yeah, you're naturally more comfortable around women, which I mean, I have had both my big game hunts um, that I've been on. I had male guides that were amazing Mm -hmm. too, but yeah, just the more of like, yeah, the team, the camaraderie, the passion of the women is, is, is fun. Yeah, I agree. I think that (laughs) 
the more we surround each other, and it's, again, going back to there's not necessarily a negative. Like I haven't ever hunted with a group of men where it's been negative. Um, Mm -hmm. But the ability to not have to worry about either sexuality of of changing the tone of the hunt or worrying about if I let my guard down or if I have two drinks versus one or if I there's just a sense of I could rest easy a little bit more mm-hmm. um I don't know I also find myself completely intimidated going with a group of women that know a ton more than me <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to be the newbie. And, and, um, what is that going to okay, be like? Though. It is, isn't it? Um, yeah. we've all been there. <laughs> we all have. And I think that that's, you know, if a man goes on a trip with all men, I think that they feel the same way. I think that there's a sense of, okay, we can just hang out and be dudes. And, um, and not in a disrespectful way, but just in a way of they can hang out in, you know, their boxer shorts and a T-shirt and not have to worry about a woman walking in. That they can just mm-hmm. relax and be themselves and we can do the same thing. I think that there's a necessity for both. And again, we learn all different kinds of lessons. My kids learn so many different things from my husband and so many different things from me that they're going to be well-rounded hunters. Okay. I do want to ask you about taxidermy. How did you get started in it? And I want to know what your favorite piece that you have done is. Okay. I, I love taxidermy. I love talking about it. So I could go on for hours. Um, I, I started, I just, oh, I just started like found a a girl, um, that had done skull cleaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's actually out of Oregon and it kind of inspired me a little bit. Um, there wasn't anything like that going on in Eastern Wyoming, Western Nebraska, where I had been living. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I did some research and I bought some beetles and I started doing skull cleaning European mounts with, with beetles. And I did that for about, oh, probably close to two years, a year and a half or so. Um, and then just decided, you know, I, I can go to taxidermy school. Why not? Yes. yes. <laughs> I, and so I, I did some research. I found, I found one up in Montana. I just love that part of Montana. So mm-hmm. I could go up there. I could spend a month, learn how to do uh, big game, small game, um, birds, fish. I learned everything. It was really cool. Shoulder mounts, full body mounts. Um, and then, so that would have been, and I think it was the spring of 2019. And I started my business after school that fall. Um, and then started my first year of, of getting clients and whatnot in, uh, right now I've just been doing I don't do the skull cleaning or the European mounts, uh, right now until I get settled back in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do big game shoulder mounts and fish reproduction. Those are typically my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I am still working on birds and waterfowl. Mm -hmm. I have the permits and whatnot to do them. I've practiced a few. I just don't think I'm quite at the point where I can, I should do them and, you know, probably for, for clients and whatnot. Yeah. quite yet, but, yeah. um, I've got a lot to practice once I get situated back in Oregon, um, maybe for this upcoming year. Awesome. Um, 
Yeah. So would like you, deer and antelope shoulder mounts and fish are, are my, my go-tos, my favorite. <laughs> would you ever go back to skull cleaning without beetles? I would. Yep. Yeah. And so I did that for a while too. Um, beetles are really hard to keep alive. <laughs> I've so heard that. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a few times where I had a farm going and I had, you know, everything was going well and then mm-hmm. they kind of just disappeared, died off and yeah. had to restart over. So the last, um, probably the last like six months before I moved out to Utah, I just macerated. So I just soaked in water, mm-hmm. um, the heads yeah. and then power washed them degreased them, bleached them, that kind of thing. So I, ha- I haven't done beetles in probably about a year or so. Yeah. I've or heard over a year. so many positives about beetles, so many positive, mm-hmm. but I've also heard that the maintenance of the actual okay. beetles <laughs> is probably the most difficult part. It is pretty tough. Yeah. You have to have, you know, a certain temperature if you, yeah. they, they fly and whatnot. If you're, if it's too hot or <laughs> it's too cold, they die. So they have to be fed all the time. So, um, once I got that down, it was, it was pretty smooth sailing, but, um, trial and error, trial and I, error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but the soaking works great too. Mm-hmm. Um, some people boil, I haven't actually ever boiled. Um, it makes me a little nervous, but yeah. I'll just soak them for, you know, a few weeks. And that usually takes care the of it to get, yeah. We have boiled. We've done, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. We've done five of ours and it has been boiling and it is simply, oh, nice. you cannot take your eyes off of it. It is, mm-hmm. it's not one of those sit and go. It's of course faster, um, but you have to like temperature is huge because you don't want to hurt um you don't want to do anything to damage the bone. And mm-hmm. so it it is something that you have to keep your eye on. And of course, we're not, I'm not a taxidermist by any means. Um, and neither <laughs> is my husband. So it was trial and error over time. Um, I think he did it more. He's a wildlife biologist. So he did it more with skulls that he's found out, um, whether it was on you know, jobs that he was on or um, just hiking out and finding things. But it it was kind of trial and error through that, that he was he kind of learned how to do what we've got on our wall right now. But it's always the process of it is what's intriguing to me because it is art. It is creating something that tells the story. Um, and I think that there's... There's more to it than, I don't know. There's, I have a huge respect for taxidermists because their whole goal is to recreate something that somebody is going to look back at and show and say, this is what happened. And Mm -hmm. so taking pride in that artwork, bringing something back to life or creating something that goes on a wall that shows the details, it's just, it's amazing to me. I hope that as you move, that you are able to push into it further. And like you said, get into the waterfowl a little bit more because birds, I think that the taxidermy on birds that I have seen just astounds me, the detail. Tax, waterfowl taxidermy is pretty cool. It's, mm-hmm. it's very tough, mm-hmm. um, you know, just getting the placements and yeah. whatnot of wings and feet, but 
it'll be, it'll be a fun challenge to, yeah. to try to practice and get better at. You said antelope and large game and fish. What would you say out of, out of those things that you have done? Is there one that you look back on and you're like, okay, that was my favorite to do. Not necessarily <laughs> the end result or anything, but the process of it was your favorite to do. I would probably say my first antelope I ever mounted was, mm-hmm. um, you know, the deer and antelope, they, they're usually, I, some, some capes are maybe harder to, you do like the turning process and you prep yeah. the cape before you put it. So sometimes you, you have challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first antelope I did had a big, um, scar on the top of his head and, and the client knew this was my first one I'm doing. And he still, you know, was really cool with me doing it. Um, and so that was really challenging because there was no hair. And so just to get it. And I, I mean, I, I was given up. I was, <laughs> was yeah. being really negative about it, but it all came together. And that's probably been my favorite piece I've done so far. Um, I haven't done too many antelope. I have a couple more to do. Um, from last year, um, that I'm about, I'm getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I also like fish cause every fish is, is different to the whole process of how you, the reproduction is airbrush, paint, mm-hmm. charcoal, um, powder paints, that kind of thing. So that those are always fun too. Cause the trout's totally different from a bass, from a pike or a walleye, you know? Um, so those are, those are always pretty cool. Pretty Getting fun. that iridescent, <laughs> getting yeah. that iridescent finish. <laughs> Holy moly. I cannot even imagine. Uh, I've, I've always said in talking to taxidermists, it makes me more respectful <clears throat> of the, the butchering process. You know, what am I thinking? How am I, how would I make this easier? on whoever Mm -hmm. is going to be taking care of this. How, how far do you need to go for, you know, the taxidermist to use the cape? Like how, and it's just like, the more, the better. (laughs) (laughs) The more, the better, the more respect. Yes. And, and it, um, I don't know. I think that that would make you a better hunter in respecting yeah. <laughs> um, the butchering process and coming coming out with something better to work with. But yeah, dealing with scars, dealing with with things that you had to overcome in creating a perfect piece or an in, a perfectly imperfect piece, I should say, um, because each animal is different. And I think character speaks miles when, when dealing, I don't, nobody wants their piece to look exactly like somebody else's piece. So character is Mm -hmm. everything and bringing, bringing character to life. Um, that's the art of taxidermy and Mm -hmm. it's highly respected. I think anybody who says, Oh, you cost that much is they don't know everything that goes into it. They don't Mm -hmm. understand the, the time and the effort and the care and precision. Um, so I think that that's, it kind of brings a little bit of science and art to it. So if you're both right and left brain, you're, you're in a world of, of (laughs) you're in the perfect space. (laughs) Yep. That's true. Cause you have the anatomy and then Mm -hmm. the the artistic part. It is fun to reproduce an animal for somebody. Mm -hmm. And to see their face at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you know yeah. it brings back all the emotions of that day. It does. <laughs> I know it does for me. I, I went with a friend to go pick up 
his favorite deer that he had gotten. And it wasn't because he was this, I mean, he was magnificent, but it was more the story behind him and the amount of time hunting him that surrounded it. And you could tell just the first time of seeing it, the emotion that came back to it. And um, that is so cool. It is so cool. It's so cool to be a part of that. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited to hear that, you know, starting back up in Oregon and 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 picking back up in some of the things that that you will want to start there. Um, they'll be lucky to have you. Yeah, Very it'll be, lucky. It'll be fun to, mm-hmm. to start there. Yeah. I have a, I'm pretty excited to, I get to mount my first piece. That's my own um, from an antelope that I, that I harvested last fall. So it was like my first big successful big game harvest. Mm-hmm. And just that, like getting to, you know, keep it out and, do the tax streaming stuff. That'll be pretty fun. That Hopefully will this, be fun. This summer. Man, each step that you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to have so much emotion in each part of that. <laughs> it is. It's going to be cool. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, I hope that you post in stories along your way because I'd love to follow that journey. Um, awesome. <laughs> keep us posted on that for sure. Hey, you have also, um, even recently, because when we talked about having this conversation, you were going through surgery. I mean, you've had to tackle some things. Tell us a little bit about some of the health battles that you've had in the past and how that has affected um, being in the outdoors. Yeah, well, so I started, oh gosh, it's it's probably been a couple years ago. It was right around the time I was in taxidermy school and whatnot. Um my health just started declining and I had no idea really what was going on. Um, but I was super fatigued. I was, mm-hmm. you know, just, just feeling bad all the time. I was in bed all the time. Um, and so my doctors, you know, they were doing uh, CTs, MRIs and colonoscopies and endoscopies and just all the things like mm-hmm. trying to kind of come to a conclusion. I had, they had diagnosed me with lupus, uh, which is an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. which now they don't think I have. I have another autoimmune disease that affects my liver, um, that I was diagnosed with a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in that process of about a year or so, I, I didn't, I was told not to be in the heat, not to be in the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a whole summer where I didn't really fish or do anything outside because I was too scared to have a flare up and not you know, be able to work or, or whatnot. So I, I kind of, um, it kind of, it was hard to, to do the things that I loved outside. Uh, once I got the official, um, diagnosis for my liver autoimmune disease last winter. So a year, about a year and a half ago, um, I was put on steroids and, um, you know, some other meds and stuff. And it, it, it was hard for the time being, but then it, it helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, it helped heal a lot of scarring from that on my liver and whatnot. So then this last year I've really been trying to work on, um, I've been doing 
the long hikes. Well, last turkey season, I should say the long hikes and the heat and the sun and all the things that I was told not to do for a while. The door Um, opened and you just ran through it. (laughs) So I've learned in the last year and a couple of years, I've learned a lot about my body, pacing myself, what Mm -hmm. I can and can't do. Um, and which has helped me now. And then this last winter I went through, uh, they diagnosed me with thyroid cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had tumors on my thyroid for years. They always, you know, kept track of right. whatnot with biopsies, but, um, so that was a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, I just, I was just, okay, I'd been through this before. I'm going to stay positive, even with the radiation, the surgery and everything that was supposed to happen. Um, and they did my surgery back in February, I think around the time we started talking and, um, it came back, it wasn't cancerous. So that was like a huge relief, um, miracle, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was, it was really awesome. And, my surgeon said he'd seen it happen a few times. And, um, and so I've kind of just bounced back from that and I feel a lot better with my Mm -hmm. thyroid gone. And, um, yeah, I've just, I've learned to kind of pace myself when it comes to hunting, fishing, you know, I, I still, I'm out in the heat in the sun, but I try to, you know, limit myself, not 12 hours a day, maybe six hours a day or something like that, just to not overdo it. Right. Um, so I've really, I've really learned a lot and that's where kind of hunting on my own too has impacted me in a really positive way because I can set my own pace. Yes. Um, I don't feel like I have to, you know, I don't have to keep up with anyone or slow anyone down and I just do my own thing. And then it's, but it's also been really cool, you know, especially turkey hunting or duck hunting, but interacting with the animals on my own, Mm -hmm. um, being able to call them in. And that's where I've kind of gotten the confidence up in the last probably year and a half duck hunting and turkey hunting and calling and doing things that I hadn't done before. Um, doing it by myself. So it's been, it's been really, really fun. I think that that's where when, when you're by yourself and you whether you're turkey calling or bird calling, what I am like, don't even ask me to duck call. That's I <laughs> sound like a choking crane. Like it is not good. But when I'm by myself, <laughs> but when you're by yourself, you can make those mistakes. And yeah. and I have nobody to blame but myself. And so it mm-hmm. is that I'm I'm competing not against other people. I don't feel guilty for ruining somebody else's hunt. I'm just ruining my own, but I'm mm-hmm. learning along the way. I think that you know the first 2 years I turkey hunted, I just hunted solo. And I think that that was, I was learning how to call. And do I have a great turkey call now? No, but do I have a call that can call a bird in? Yes. Um, Am I going to win any competitions with my calling? (laughs) Hell no. But I (laughs) can call a hen in. I can call a tom in. I can, I can make it good enough that I can have a hunt that's going to, to, to have a successful end to it. And, and, but that has taken time and it has taken screwing up many, many times. But since I was by Mm -hmm. myself, 
I would I would kind of do that face of, ooh, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> say, uh, it's probably done for the day. I probably totally just ruined the whole rest of the day, but let me keep trying. And if I call something in, then it's like, well, I just, you know, they forgot about the bad call. And, mm-hmm. and you think that's the, that's the fun part of being solo is that you're making those decisions on your own and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're trudging that ground on your own. And when it comes to fruition, you can say, oh, I did it. Um, even if there's no gunshot, even if there's no, but just seeing something happen in response to you, holy moly, my heart goes crazy <laughs> over it. It's so fun just to learn like, or just the interaction. I mean, I've learned from amazing men and women, Mm -hmm. but I've also learned a lot just on my own Yeah, and having that one-on-one interaction with a turkey or Mm -hmm. seeing, seeing a duck turn around and actually, oh, it did like that call. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to, it's going to come in. (laughs) Yeah. So it makes a difference. It makes a difference. You, you get to, you know, take steps of your own accord. And I like how you said it. So I said in the beginning, I take notes on all of my podcasts because I always learn something and whether it's (laughs) a skill or it's something that I need to give myself patience. And, um, I have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so my way of of hunting solo gives me the ability to take the breaks when I need to, like you mm-hmm. said, set my own pace. Um, and with when I'm with other people, I feel like I've got to keep up. And I don't want to yes. be the one that said, hey, can you slow down? <laughs> or, hey, yeah. I need a minute. <laughs> or, hey, because it might be in the rough and tough of – of stalking something or going after mm-hmm. something. And so I constantly have to feel like I've got to keep up. And there's nothing wrong with that because I think it pushes me to a point where I know where that boundary is. Mm-hmm. But when I'm by myself, I can also push to a point. But then when I find that boundary, I can I can stop and rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. There are pros and cons to both. And um, – but what you said there about creating your own pace and being able to work through some of the things that you are feeling limit wise on your physical health, um, I'm able to do that a lot better by myself in gauging it. Um, yes. But I do. I I appreciate when peers are around me because it does push me a little bit further and I go, I could handle that. Whereas I was mm-hmm. maybe a little fearful of pushing it beforehand. So yeah, they're opposed to both of them. Um, I do. That's absolutely true too. I I do love hunting solo. It is, (laughs) it is one of my favorites and sharing it with my kids has been (laughs) a sacrifice that I love, but, um, but it is, it's different hunting with other people. It, yeah. They're pros to both. Um, Pro, yeah, pros and cons to both for sure. <laughs> what are your plans? You said you're moving to Oregon this summer sometime. What mm-hmm. will you be able – are there limitations to you have to live there for a certain amount of time or because you're a native, you get to go ahead and hunt this fall? What are your plans? I believe it's a six months. Mm-hmm. I need to get residency, but I'm going to look more into that. Mm-hmm. I haven't – I haven't 
fully, regardless whether I'm a resident or non-resident, I'm going to, um, I'm still going to try to hunt. I might yeah. not be able to put in for certain tags, yeah. you know, um, yeah. resident tags until I get that. But I've already, um, I'm a part of the Delta waterfowl here in Utah. And so I've already, um, got connected with the chapter up there Good. in Oregon. Um, and so I'm going to do that and have some friends that I've met to waterfall hunt. So that'll definitely be something to do. Um, I have, I've, I've been working up to, or I should say like hiking, trying to lead up to doing, um, an upland hunt in Hell's Canyon, Ooh. which is on like the Oregon, Idaho, Washington border. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very tough yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hunting, but I've always, it's some, been something I've always wanted to do. And so this last year I've been trying to get myself in better shape to do it with a couple friends possibly. Um, so we're hoping that that'll work out and just, yeah, just learning, you know, different areas and mm-hmm. in, yeah, in my home state that I, I never grew up doing. So I'm just excited to explore and I mean, I know all the spots to go hike and camp and fish and, you know, but for hunting, mm-hmm. it'll be a whole new, whole new thing to learn. So Yeah, it will be. That, that. That's the adventure that's the great part of hunting <laughs> is there's mm-hmm. always something more to learn. And even if mm-hmm. you're, like you said, even if you don't get certain tags, they're still scouting so that the next mm-hmm. year you're prepared for it. And yeah. Um, Man, going back to waterfowl, I think that waterfowl, goose, um, when people ask me what is the best thing to get started with, it's a toss between small game and bird hunting, mainly because it is easier to go with a group of people and that camaraderie mm-hmm. Um Goose hunting, I've told everybody, if you can go, if you've never hunted before, if you can go hunt snow goose, a conservation (laughs) snow goose hunt, I think that that is an excellent place to start. (laughs) Just because they're a little bigger bodied, they're a little bit slower, they come in um, a little more gracefully. I think that duck come in gracefully, but they're so fast. Um, But being with other people is the biggest part of it. I think um, it's just such a great way to be introduced if you're with a great group. Um, Starting out, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was asking me the the other day, I've never hunted bird. I've never hunted waterfowl. What do I need to start with? I was like, go on a snow goose conservation hunt. Um, You get more chances to shoot. There's an unlimited um, quantity of birds that you can shoot. Mm-hmm. And and you get to hang out with some great people. It's a great way to learn how to shoot a moving target if you are not shooting clays. I, there's just endless possibilities. Um, but you said something that stood out to me was that in in Utah, you are a part of a group that you are able to transfer to Oregon and already be a part of a group. And I think people don't take advantage of that as much as they should. Um, I think that there are, whether it's conservation groups or um, hunting groups or organizations that you can be a part of in your community, 
so many of them are linked to other states. So when you move, mm-hmm. you can be linked into a community of of hunting supporters already just because you were already a part of it. Do you find yes. that that's a good way of of transitioning from one place to another? You're not going to automatically lose the ability to hunt because you're a part of these groups. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great a great thing to be a part of. Um, when I, I wasn't part of my Delta waterfowl committee. I just, just joined them in the last six months out Mm -hmm. here. But when I, when I moved from Nebraska to Utah, I didn't know if I would ever duck hunt again because I had, it's completely different hunting out here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I knew kind of the basics and stuff, but I didn't have a boat. I didn't have, you know, the things that are more needed here. And I, kind of reached out, met a couple really good guy friends that took me under their wing, showed mm-hmm. me how, you know, places to go, what to do around here and hunted with them, hunted by myself. Um, and so, but now having that, the Delta group and they have chapters all over the country. And so, mm-hmm. um, and they're big into, you know, the, the waterfowl habitat, building habitat, right. um, conservation. So they do more, it's not, you know, it's, they really help take care of the waterfowl population. Mm-hmm. Um, it's putting in so that grow. you can, yeah. If you don't put into it, you can't receive out of it in my right. opinion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the group of guys I was with down here in Utah has been super awesome. And then I met a couple from outside the Columbia river chapter. So I'm excited to, to go up there and kind of just learn the ropes and help them. And Mm -hmm. they put on even youth and women's hunts too, I guess. And so I'm really excited to hopefully be a part of that. Yes. Um, Along with maybe find um, local women's organizations or, or bring my sisterhood out there or Mm -hmm. whatnot. So that'll be really, really fun to, I love learning. So just learning about all of hunting out there and, Mm -hmm. and, and stuff. So yeah. That'd be good. That'd be good. (laughs) I do think, I think it's really important when people say, I'm a conservationist. Well, what are you conserving? (laughs) Tell me, tell me about it. And it is the, the thought process for me. If you just take the word conservation and apply it, are Mm -hmm. you taking more than you are giving? And it can be monetary if you don't have the ability to do anything else. It can be getting your hands dirty and working hard and sweating and bleeding out there to make habitat more friendly toward um, what you are hunting. But if you are Mm -hmm. taking more than you are giving, either physically, you know, taking without giving monetarily, if you are taking more than you are giving, then you might need to reassess (laughs) what you were doing and why you were doing it. I love explaining to, you know, non-hunters, um, the whole picture of Mm -hmm. conservation, conservation, hunting, harvesting, whatever you call it, like, um, and kind of give them the whole aspect of it all. Um, because a lot of times people don't understand um, or they know oh, you're just out killing animals, yeah. oh, but I do it for my food because mm-hmm. wild game is naturally healthier than, you know, store-bought meat. I have right. health issues. It just makes more sense for me. Um, but then the whole process and then the conservation side of it and, and, and people, 
really, I've actually gotten a lot of my non-hunting friends to start hunting mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. to, you know, kind of understand better. So, um, that it's a whole concept and it's a good yeah. one. Yeah. There's like not it. just one reason for me why right. I hunt. If you are bringing all of the normal reasons into it. Yes. We love the mm-hmm. food. It is better for our systems. We actually have noticed in our family that eating beef from the store or from a restaurant actually hurts our stomachs more than Mm -hmm. what we have gotten used to eating at home. And uh, like there's that one side of it, but there are Mm -hmm. so many other reasons that are different for people that it's just multifaceted. It's not just one reason. Um, And I think getting that across and seeing the impact that most hunters have on the environment, if they're doing it correctly, is is astounding and people just don't know. And so educating, talking about it, having conversations with non-hunters is important to be able to get that out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about your move. (laughs) I'm excited to hear about where your taxidermy is going to go. I want to follow your antelope. Um, (laughs) I want to see how, how that comes out. I'm truly intrigued by it um and wanting to hear kind of the story alongside of of how you're doing it um but just seeing your transition from one state to the next I can't wait to see how you do this and I think that people can probably relate to it more than even you and I can prepare for. So I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. glad that you were able to share that um, and how hunting and fishing in the outdoors has truly been a huge part of who you have become today. It really has. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Megan. Yeah, and thank you, Amy. How can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me. I have both Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm. I have um, my Instagram is Megs, M-E-G-S dot beach. My last name, Mm -hmm. Uh, my taxidermy is beach bugs taxidermy. So any of those ways are out there. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you. And um, we will definitely follow along. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Amy.